Hey folks, this is Dr. Gersmar, and welcome to what I am right now calling the Dr. G P or the Dr. G podcast. Um, as a recovering perfectionist, uh, I have made it my goal to get stuff out there and, um, you know, worry about uh, making it beautiful and having all of my ducks in a row. Um, I've tried to set that aside because uh, what I've found in years past is that means I just don't get anything done because it's never quite good enough. So if anybody's a perfectionist out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In a lot of instances, right, the ready, fire, aim approach is better uh, than ready, aim, 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 and then never actually implementing, right? So I don't have uh, music or a snappy intro, and I'm not even exactly sure of the name of what this thing is going to be. But I want to get this information out for you guys. So today, um, I want to record something. So a few days ago, I was having a chat with a patient about hormones uh, and the use of hormone replacement. And we had a great conversation for about 20 minutes. Um, and I looked at her and said, you know, I really should have recorded this. And uh, she agreed with me because because um, as well as I tried to record it, there was just a lot of, in, uh, as well as I tried to explain it to her, there was just a lot of information. Uh, and she said it would be great uh, to have it to be able to go over again in the future. And I thought there, there's a lot of confusion about this. Uh, people are getting conflicting information. And so I would put out uh, the best knowledge that I currently have available here, okay, in, uh, you know, in 2016. So let's talk about it. So hormone replacement therapy, HRT, or you will see it also called BHRT, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, or uh, for the guys out there, you'll see TRT or testosterone replacement therapy is basically the practice of giving people hormones, right? So why do we do that? Well, of course, there are one of two reasons. So there's either a, a direct pathology, like something is broken, and people no longer have the hormones that they should have. So classic example here is the thyroid, right? So whether it's you have Hashimoto's autoimmune thyroid disease or Graves, or, or you've had your thyroid removed because of thyroid cancer or some other reason, or simply for, uh, you know, what we presume are unknown reasons, your thyroid stops working correctly, uh, bad stuff happens, right? Hypothyroidism in extreme cases, really bad stuff happens if you really don't have any thyroid hormone. So we give you thyroid hormone replacement. Now, when most people say, so uh, before I before I get off there, let me say, so that's one of the reasons. So something is broken, right? Uh, women going through chemotherapy that destroys their ovaries, uh, needing to go on hormone replacement. Uh, men, similarly, if something happens to their testicles, um, going on hormone replacement. So you can be put on hormone replacement if something is broken, of course, a pathology. And the second reason Oh, uh, well, let me, you can't see my air quotes, is simply because you're getting older, whether that's menopause uh, for women or uh, what's now known as andropause, which is a kind of similar but less, uh, you know, less... Um, less of a big deal, right? Less of kind of a happens in, in a discrete time is sort of just this thing that happens over time for guys where their testosterone levels decline. And so then people are taking hormones in one form or another for, for one of two reasons, right? So the most common reason there in the conventional community is a woman enters menopause and she's suffering really badly. Lots of hot flashes. Uh, you know, her brain isn't working right. And so she's given a little bit of estrogen in order to calm those symptoms down and restore her quality of life. 
right? So that's nowadays, that is the conventional use of hormone replacement therapy because uh, back in the day, back in the 90s and before, uh, hormone replacement therapy was being touted as the the, the great miracle that would uh, you know reduce women reduce women's risk of a whole bunch of diseases and so basically all women when they hit menopause were being uh, recommended that they go ahead and go on hormone replacement therapy and then a, a study came out in the early two thousands which showed that far from uh, you know, reducing risk that actually increased the risk of heart attacks. And so abruptly, the kind of the age of hormone replacement therapy uh, in the conventional community came to an end. And now, you know, the, the current recommendation is to give hormones for the smallest amount of time possible um, and only when absolutely necessary. All right. So backing up again, two reasons uh, that we give hormone replacement therapy just as a big category. Okay. One is there's a problem. Something is broken and someone no longer has the hormones that quote unquote, again, air fingers here, that they should have. And the second reason is that as people age and their hormone levels drop, they are given hormones either, uh, again, kind of hearkening back to that first one, to fix a problem, hot flashes and, and dysfunctions related to menopause or andropause, or uh, what we're seeing more in the alternative community is for, again, air fingers, quote unquote, uh, healthy aging or anti-aging, a term I personally really dislike because uh, uh, my soapbox here for a second, guys, you can't anti age or not age, right? Um, reversing aging. Now, this is important because we can talk about there's your chronologic age, which is, you know, what year were you born and how many years has it been since then? Okay, so technically I am X years old chronologically or calendar age. And then there's kind of what we call your biologic age, and that's a combination of how do you feel, right? So we have some people we would say are prematurely aging, um, that is, they may be whatever, 20, 30, 40, 70, uh, but they feel like they're 90, right? Their ability to function both mentally and physically is impaired. So when we talk about biologic aging, there's, you know, how people feel, and then there's sort of how their system is doing. Are they aging prematurely? So by calendar age or chronologic age, they may be, I don't know, whatever, 60 years old, but, um, by biologic age, they may be 60, you know, 65, 70, 80. Uh, uh, alternately, you know, by uh, biologic age, they may be 50, right? People say, well, I'm, you know, common story, right? They clean up their diet and lifestyle and get things in check. And they say, hey, I'm 50 and I feel better than I did when I was 35, right? So their biologic age is younger than their chronologic age. So, that is what we mean reversing aging is bringing down your biologic age, right? But again, my soapbox anti-aging term drives me nuts. What I like better is healthy aging because, again, we don't have, until someone develops a time machine, uh, we don't have the ability to stop aging chronologically or by calendar years, but we can affect how we age biologically. And the biggest determinant of that is not 
hormones, uh, but how we live our day-to-day lifestyle. So are we eating healthy food most of the time? Are we getting regular exercise or just, just plain out moving our bodies on a regular basis? Are we getting enough sleep at night? Because of course, sleep is not just, you know, the time we're spending unconscious laying in bed that's a waste of time. It is actually active recovery and rejuvenation time. So it's one thing to skimp on sleep because we're saying, well, it's a waste of time, and if I could just sleep less, I would waste less time. It's another thing to think that by skimping on sleep, and look, we are all, or or at least I know I am, right? Last night, I didn't get as much sleep as I wanted to. So basically, all of us are skimping on sleep at least some of the time. But it's one thing to reframe that as saying, I am skimping on my restoration and rejuvenation time. Helps put it in a little bit different perspective. So again, uh, the food we eat, moving our bodies, sleep, stress management. Look, we don't even ask people anymore if they're stressed out because basically unless you're not living in our society or you're truly uh, you know, a, a different person or with very different circumstances, you are very stressed out. Uh, but the question is, how do you manage that stress. Some of us are doing an exceedingly good job at managing our stress. So we have a lot going on physically, mentally, emotionally, but we cope really well with that stress. And so it doesn't affect us nearly as much. And then some of us uh, cope really poorly with our stress. So from the outside, someone looking at that person's life may say, gosh, you honestly don't have a lot going on. There's not a lot of stress in your life. But of course, stress is really in the eye of the beholder a lot of times, right? So it's not necessarily what's coming at us from the outside or what someone else looking at our life would say uh, constitutes a lot of stress. But it's a lot about how we deal with those stress loads. So we talk about stress, not stress per se, but stress management. How are you dealing with stress? And, uh, you know, all of us, unless we're going to opt out of kind of the current Western, modern, you know, U.S. lifestyle, uh, which is certainly one thing, but a lot of us uh, don't want to, uh, we need to make sure that we are taking steps to manage our stress effectively. And then, of course, uh, a couple last things real quick, right? So we've talked about food and, and exercise or movement, sleep or restoration, rejuvenation. We've talked about stress management, two last things, so social support. So again, this dovetails into that stress management. But being surrounded by people who love us and who we love is critical, critical. We see it, again, kind of talking about aging here. This is uh, my long-winded way of getting back to hormones in a second. But we've seen in the elderly that social isolation, not having a social support system is incredibly harmful, right? Worse than actually smoking. So I would rather see someone, an older person here, smoke and have a good social support network and purpose in their life than not smoke, but be socially isolated alone, right? Alone and unhappy. All right, and lastly, some detoxification, because we're not going to talk about this uh, today, but we are bathed, unfortunately, in a sea of what's called endocrine-disrupting chemicals, EDCs, endocrine-disrupting chemicals, a fancy way of saying hormone disrupting chemicals. So things like estrogens that come from outside of us or anti-androgens. Again, androgen is things like testosterone. And many of these other compounds screw up our hormone balance. So 
you know, you may ask, and again, topic for another day, why do we have so many hormone issues just in general? And I would lay it at the feet primarily for most people of you know, poor diet and lifestyle choices that aren't supporting good healthy hormone levels for people. And then a lot of exposure to these endocrine disrupting chemicals. And so the need to detoxify, and again, two parts there, just taking sensible and reasonable steps to avoid as many of these chemicals as we can. And then the second is doing smart and sensible detox. It doesn't have to be some crazy regimen, uh, but we do need to take steps. And people will say, why? Like my grandparents, my great-grandparents, they never did, never did any detoxing, and they were perfectly fine, right? Well, the answer is we they didn't have the exposure to so much of these endocrine-disrupting chemicals as we do nowadays. We live in a different world than they lived in, and we have to contend with things that they didn't. Their lifestyles weren't as stressful and hectic as ours, right? And their exposure to these chemicals was not nearly as much as we were. And so these things weren't as significant for them, or at least most of them, as they are for most of us nowadays. All right, so anyway, we're going off on some tangents here, but if you wanna maintain healthy hormone levels, right, and youthful aging, or aging well, or aging, you know, keeping our physical and mental faculties, you know, mostly intact and not becoming kind of that caricature, that doddering old person. The biggest thing is not whether you do hormone replacement therapy or not. It's how you live your life most of the time is going to have the single biggest impact. Okay, that aside, we're here to talk about hormones. So we've talked about the two reasons that we give hormones, right? Either because there's something broken or messed up, or because as people are aging, there is a drop in hormones. So kind of last piece here is, is it inevitable that hormones go down as we age, right? Is that just part of aging? And the answer seems to be, well, partly yes and partly no. So all women are going to go through menopause. It always happens. Now, uh, for a lot of women, it's happening earlier than in the past. And again, we have to think again, diet, lifestyle, and hormone exposure to hormones are playing, uh, hormone disrupting chemicals are playing a really big role for women these days. But all women are going to go through menopause. But does menopause invariably mean that women are going to have a really rough time of it? And the answer is no, right? So you've probably heard that in some parts of the world with more people living more traditional lifestyles, uh, they don't even have a word for menopause. They simply just stop having periods and they're done, right? None of these crazy hot flashes or brain fog or any of these other symptoms that women in our society uh, often experience with menopause. And so is it possible to have a healthy and basically, if you will, pain-free menopause and not need to take hormones? Well, absolutely, it's possible, right? And so what we try and tell women is, look, as you're getting into your 40s, if you're not already doing these health-promoting habits, the things we just talked about, right, and maintaining good, strong, functional adrenals, which is the place that your sex hormones, right, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, are primarily going to come from after your ovaries stop working, if you can maintain those things, then your chances of having a painless, 
transition through menopause are maximized, right? Most women, if they could take care of their health, right, and maintain good, strong, healthy adrenals, would not need need to take hormones in the first place. But unfortunately for many women, they don't know this. And again, our lifestyles are really antagonistic to doing those things. So for many women, they hit menopause and bam, symptoms are really bad. And then we have to do something about it. Okay. So again, uh, we have a problem, menopause as a problem, or we have the consequences of aging. So, so we were getting into, you know, menopause is inevitable. Is andropause inevitable? And the answer is it seems to depend, right? Again, we have men who have good drive and good sexual function into their old age, and they don't take hormone replacement. But a lot of it, again, comes down to these two factors of diet and lifestyle, and then exposure to endocrine disrupting chemicals. So if we can minimize those things, we maximize our chance of not needing hormones, right? But unfortunately, for a lot of people who live in our society, not the case. And so, you know, hormones can become a component of aging well and aging healthfully because we have to discuss aging here for a second. What we see is the difference between, you know, what is being what is called the greatest generation, which always seems kind of a weird uh, self-aggrandizing term to me, or the generation that went through the depression, right? And the baby boomers, the generation that came after them. So for a lot of the greatest generation or the depression era generation, they sort of viewed aging as just a thing like, great, okay, I'm going to retire and I'm going to slow down and I'm going to, you know, take it easy. And the idea stereotypically here of, you know, sitting on your rocking chair and kind of staring out, enjoying the view and just kind of coasting down through the last years of life was something they were fine with. Right. But that's very different from what most baby boomers are looking at now. They're saying, you know, retire. No, you know, slow down. Uh, No, Uh, you know, become kind of babysitters and watch the grandkids and take that up as my primary job, if you will. Uh, No, I have things to do, places to go, people to see, businesses to run, like slow down. No, thank you. So we have to look at what people want out of old age. Because look, I've rambled on here now for a while. But the bottom line is this, does everybody need hormones? No, of course not, right? Are there benefits and risks to hormones? Yes, there are. Is it an easy yes or no decision for everyone? Well, of course not. The reality of the world is that, you know, almost everything is a, it depends, and look at the context, and maybe. And hormones are no different. Look, to the extent that we can do all the things that we've talked about several times already, hormones become less likely. To the, to the extent that people aren't having, you know, any diseases or anything else that breaks part of their body, hormones are not necessary. To the extent that people are willing to accept some of the decline that comes with aging, hormones are not necessary. So listen, you know, the decline of aging is inevitable, right? A 60-year-old is not going to be able to physically compete with a 20-year-old, right? But the extent of that decline, again, is dependent to great degree on diet and lifestyle. 
Okay, but nonetheless, there is decline with aging. An 80 year old is not the same as a 60 year old, is not the same as a 40 year old, a 20 year old, you know, a teenager, a kid. It's just a reality. And so when we're weighing the pros and cons of hormone replacement, we have to think about what are your goals, right? If you are moving into your 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond, and simply saying, look, I'm pretty happy. I don't have any super ambitious goals. First of all, don't let anybody shame you, blame you, or tell you what you have to do with your life, right? Some people are very type A, very driven, a lot they want to accomplish, a lot they want to do, right? There are pros and cons to living that kind of life. Some people are really type B, they're pretty mellow, you know, they want to work on on low-key stuff, create art, uh, you know, spend time with friends, do low-key things, right? Relax, take it easy, enjoy life. Nothing wrong with either of those paths unless that's not the path that you want. So if you're really, really type A driven person, you have a lot you want to accomplish, a lot you want to do, fine. Nothing wrong with that, but also accept that there are going to be consequences to living that lifestyle. If you're on the other side, fine, but accept there also are consequences to living that kind of life. And it's so when we talk about hormone replacement here in the context of aging well, we have to look at what a person's goals are. If you're that type A person, chances are that you should go on hormones, right? To maintain more of that youthful vigor that having those higher hormone levels is going to give you. If you're a type B person and otherwise good health and caring for yourself, then probably no. So one last piece here um, that I haven't covered yet, but we've kind of gotten there indirectly, is we can give hormones, but how much hormone should we give? And so that's kind of where I was just getting. We can give kind of the minimum dose of hormones, right, which is what the conventional community is all about, to alleviate symptoms and, and you know, get rid of some. So, for example, like with menopause, right, to get rid of those hot flashes. What is the minimum amount of estrogen necessary to get rid of those hot flashes? And the minimum amount amount of time necessary for a woman to take that to get rid of those hot flashes. In contrast, we have uh, the other camp, the kind of anti-aging camp, if you will, right, which is saying how many hormones, like how much, do we need to take to restore the hormone levels to that of a youthful person and therefore, you know, to give that individual as much of that youthful kind of energy and vigor um, as a young person. So very different approaches, okay? So again, those type A people with a lot to do, they should really look into using hormones in that second way, restoring hormone levels to a more youthful level so they can have those more youthful attributes. Those second people, sorry, those first people right? Uh, should look at using hormones in the, f- in the first way. Okay, I may be getting this a little confused. So if you're a type A person um, and that's your goal, you should probably restore your hormones to a youthful level. If you're kind of a type B person um, and you're not looking for that, then you should use hormones the lowest dose for the minimum amount of time uh, to take care of any symptoms or, or to improve quality of life for yourself. Okay? So That is kind of that overview. And then when we're actually looking at using hormones, again, it's always a cost-benefit analysis. So the concerns are, does having high hormone levels cause health consequences? 
right? So certainly, you know, again, I'm a naturopathic doctor here discussing this. Is it natural to have youthful hormone levels in our 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond? And the answer is no, of course it is not natural. So again, we have to decide what is the best choice for us. And some people, again, are, I don't care what natural is. I want to squeeze every drop out of my life that I am, that it's possible. And other people take the other approach. Again, there is, to me, there is no right or wrong here. It's simply what works for you. Okay, so is it natural? No, of course it's not natural. But can we, you know, mimic as much as possible natural? Sure. And so that's where we have to talk about hormone replacement versus bioidentical hormone replacement. So those trials that were done on women. So the conventional community still largely uses hormones for women, because this is what we're talking about here, that are un natural. So the most uh, commonly prescribed still to this day type of estrogen is known as Premarin. That is short for, Premarin is short for pregnant mare's urine. Pregnant mare's urine, short to Premarin. So that is not a joke. That is really where they source it from. So they collect urine from pregnant horses and they uh, filter out the estrogens and uh, turn it into a prescription. So before anybody freaks out here, right, a lot of naturally inclined people, um, you know, armor, which is the most commonly prescribed alternative thyroid medicine, comes from pigs, right? So before we get up on our high horse and we say, oh, I would never, never take horse, uh, hormones from a horse, a lot of us, right, are willing to take hormones from a pig. So again, we need to step away from dogma and really look at the situation. You know, as far as I know, to the best of my knowledge, uh, thyroid hormones that come from pigs are bioidentical, meaning they are the exact same in terms of their shape and their structure and, you know, how they look and how they act as hormones from human beings. So taking armor, again, to the best of my knowledge, I've never seen anything that suggests differently, is bio-identical. That is putting in hormones that are exactly the same as the hormones that we would make ourselves. But Premarin, horse estrogens, are not bioidentical. So they are similar, but not the same to estrogen that's being produced by the human body. And then the other side of that, the progesterone, so estrogen is Premarin, okay? The progesterone is not actually progesterone, the bioidentical, but progestin, the non-bioidentical hormone. Why does this matter? All right, because hormones um, are very, very dependent on their size and shape. So the analogy that we often use is it's like a key to a lock. So you can take two keys that are mostly identical, right? One that fits completely into that lock, turns the key, you can open the door and get in your house, right? Or you can take that key that is mostly like the hormone, uh, mostly like the key that fits in your lock. And nine times out of 10, you know, that little difference is enough that you cannot turn that lock properly and you cannot open your door. Well, similarly in the human body, right, those hormone receptors are very much like that lock and those hormones are very much like that key. And similar is not good enough. It may be enough to activate that receptor and cause some effects, but it has side effects. It activates things differently or weirdly or, you know, not in the same way as that bioidentical hormone. 
and it has some side effects. So we see this, you know, largely with those progestins, which are a synthetic form of progesterone, because again, progesterone is naturally occurring, cannot be patented, cannot be sold for a lot of money. And so there's a vested interest in having a patentable molecule that you can copyright and you can patent and you can make much more money off of. So the standard prescription for women for years and years back in the day and also still currently today are these non-bioidenticals, Premarin and progestins. And look, while we cannot know absolutely positively we, you know, the evidence suggests that it is not necessarily the hormones themselves, but it's the synthetic forms of those hormones that led to a lot of the negative outcomes. It seems to be especially, you know, uh, uh, fingered here as the culprit are those progestins, not the same as progesterone, leading to those higher risks of heart attacks and some of the other problems. So my blanket recommendation is, look, if you're going to do hormones, no matter what they are, whether it's thyroid, whether it's estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, or one of the other hormones. We want them to be as bioidentical as it's possible to get because we want to mimic the natural and normal function of the human body. And synthetics aren't necessarily evil or bad, but often they don't trigger the same pathways in exactly the same way, leading to side effects for people. All right, so we have the issue of BHRT, bioidentical hormone replacements, and HRT, or hormone replacement therapy. So again, we're kind of going all over the place here, but the general idea in the conventional community is, okay, we saw these side effects. We know that they are helpful, again, estrogen progestins, for treating menopausal symptoms, but they have side effects, so we want to give the lowest dose for the least amount of time, right? Now, some studies have come out of France using bioidentical hormones that don't seem to show the same risk. So, circling way back around to the beginning of this talk, so this came about because I was talking with a patient who we had on some hormones, again, because menopause had been really bad for her, the hot flashes were incredibly disruptive for her sleep. So we started her on some bioidentical hormones to calm those hot flashes down to get her better quality sleep. Now, her MD, very conscientious MD, said, I really don't think you should be on those hormones because of the risks that they cause you. And so the patient came to me and said, look, are, are there really the risks? So let's talk about the risks of hormone replacement. So the first is, you know, the risk of hormone-sensitive cancers, mainly in this case, breast cancer, uterine cancer, ovarian cancer right? Are there risks to taking hormones for guys? You know, prostate cancer is the biggest, although men, of course, can also get breast cancer. And some other cancers are also hormonally sensitive. So listen, do hormones cause cancer? And the answer in most instances is no. The hormones themselves cannot cause cancer, but many, again, of these hormone-sensitive cancers can use these hormones to accelerate their growth. So in most instances, it's not that, okay, I took estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, growth hormone, right? I took these hormones and it gave me cancer, although that's kind of the common thing you'll hear out there. No, it's not that these hormones gave you cancer. It's that you had 
cancer. And these hormones accelerated the growth of that cancer. If you hadn't had these hormones, that cancer most likely would have grown slower, right? And may not have been a problem till years down the road or possibly ever, right? So we're looking at hormones and we're saying, you know, uh, can these give me cancer? Now, again, we're talking about having higher hormone levels as we age is not natural. The risk of getting cancer increases as we get older simply because we've had more time to develop cancer and we've put more wear and tear on our body. So again, this circles back to the healthier diet and lifestyle that you can have maintained over the years, and the more simple preventative steps that you can take to prevent cancer, the better off you're going to be, period, right? But we see that young people in general suffer from much lower rates of cancer than old people right? Um, and that's simply because, you know, their bodies have had a lot less exposure to, you know, poor diet and lifestyle, to all of these endocrine disrupting or cancer causing chemicals, right? And all the wear and tear. So all things being equal, which it usually isn't, but all things being equal, being older is a higher risk of cancer. And so we have these hormones that can help cancer grow. And so in general, we have to say there is some risk to being older and maintaining higher hormone levels. But like so many other things in life, it's not quite that simple. So this is again where it gets into the whole it's complicated and maybe. So again, you know, in general, the older you are, the greater your risk of cancer. Putting in hormones that can increase cancers that are there may not be a great idea, which is why in my practice, we never just give hormones. So someone coming who, you know, their main objective, whether they're a guy or a gal, is to just get hormones and then be on their way we don't do that kind of work. I personally feel that that's irresponsible. And in that regard, I agree with the MDs that the least amount of hormones for the shortest amount of time makes the most sense. Because if you're not engaged in those positive health behaviors and habits and those anti-cancer habits, and you're just looking to use hormones, then you're putting yourself at risk because your diet and your lifestyle are pro-cancer. And then putting in more hormones increases that risk further. But again, it's it's not quite that simple, right? Because low hormone levels can cause your immune system to not work as well as having those higher hormone levels. And the single best defense against cancer is having a really functional immune system. So that's where, again, this whole thing becomes complicated. And for me, again, this, the, the simplest answer is, you know, it depends on a person's situation. So again, if someone has had, in this case women, right, breast cancer, or someone has had hormone-sensitive cancers, or someone has a strong family history of these cancers, or someone is not taking care of their health, then I would recommend that we don't use hormones. But for someone who doesn't have that history and is willing to engage in the rest of the package, because again, Healthy aging is not just about hormones. It's about the whole thing. You, you know, hormones plus an unhealthy lifestyle does not equal healthy aging. But for a, you know, a lot of people living in our society trying to have that type A life, a healthy lifestyle plus low hormones does not give the life that they're at. So at the end of the day, are hormones risk-free? 
No, they are not. The analogy I simply use is this, is that just the simple, you know, the brighter you want your candle to burn, the less time it, you will probably have with it. So the reality is this, we are always trying to balance length of life with quality of life because there are very few people out there who want a longer life with a lower quality. If your goal is to truly have the longest life possible, then you should have very low hormones because the reality is that most centenarians, those who live to a hundred or more, have very low hormone levels, right? But again, what's the side effect? So when your, hor- when your thyroid hormone levels are low, you're cold, and you have low energy. When your sex hormone levels are low, you have low or no libido, right, or sex drive. You have lower muscle mass. Your appearance is older, right? Um, So, you know, it's always a balance of what you're looking for in life. So for most of us, we're trying to ride that middle path of saying, hey, I don't want to jack everything up super high, right? Burn really hot and then flame out really quickly. But I also don't want to, you know, turn the gas all the way down so there's barely any flame flickering whatsoever, um, you know, and make that thing last as long as possible. I want that middle ground. I want to have, you know, a good quality of life for as long as possible. And I do think that the use of, if you will, aging smartly hormones in a comprehensive lifestyle can absolutely be part of that. And that is what most people who are listening, most people who have come to alternative or integrative medicine are really looking for. And hormones can absolutely have their place. So do we probably trade a few years of our life for, you know, the greater vitality that we experience, you know, probably so. Is there some risk of increasing cancer by taking these hormones? The answer is probably so. But again, you know, it is more complicated because there are, you know, versions, if you will, and this gets a little complicated for this talk, but there are versions of estrogen that seem to be more carcinogenic or cancer promoting and versions of estrogen that are anti-cancer and the same for testosterone. So this whole thing gets complicated and it makes an easy yes or no answer impossible. So we've got on a lot of tangents today. And the bottom line that's frustrating, I know this was for this particular patient. Can't you give me a simple yes or no answer? And the answer is uh, no. My simple answer is no, I cannot give you a simple answer. It depends on your goals and it depends on your lifestyle and it depends on why we're giving you these hormones. Now, if you choose to use hormones and not just to treat a problem, but to try and age healthfully and well, you need to have a smart practitioner on your team, someone who knows how to use these hormones. And as we can see right now, your regular run-of-the-mill MD is not going to be the person who can do this for you. It needs to be tailored and balanced correctly. It needs to be monitored through blood work or, you know, lab tests, let me say. There are a variety of different ways to measure hormones, and you need to have testing done, and you need to have it followed. Can taking hormones in this anti-aging way be tremendously beneficial? Well, yes, right? The human brain 
is very much dependent on hormones. For women, they need the female hormones, estrogen in particular, and progesterone. Men need the male hormones, testosterone. And for those who are transgender, the answer is, I truly, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. But I do know your, your, if you will, your standard male and female need those hormones. And so for many women, when they go through menopause, they find their brain isn't working as well. And that's because that drop in estrogen is messing with their brain function. So it's been shown in some studies that having sufficient levels of estrogen is actually protective against Alzheimer's disease, right, and dementias, because those estrogens help the brain and the immune system work better. And for men, similarly, testosterone plays a role. And brain, or excuse me, bone, right? One of the greatest risks to older people is osteoporosis and bone breaks. And in women especially, because we talk about women here a lot, estrogen is crucial in maintaining those healthy bones. So again, not independent of lifestyle, weight-bearing exercise, good diet, all of these other pieces. But estrogen plays a crucial role there right? Sexual function, right? Not everyone wants or needs robust sexual function, but most of us would like to have it, right? And have being deficient or very low in these hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, for both men, uh, men more testosterone, women more, all three of them, plays a crucial role in sexual function, right? And then appearance. Let's not forget appearance. So we don't want to fixate on appearance, right? In our culture, we have an appearance at all costs, right? So I'll just have plastic surgery or Botox or whatever. I'll just fix the skin, if you will, while mostly ignoring what's underneath it. What we want to see is that your appearance mirrors the health of your body. So we all know people who have aged better in terms of their appearance, right? Less wrinkles, a more healthy, vibrant appearance, and we want that to come from a more healthy, vibrant body. And hormones can certainly play a role there too. So when we're trying to debate what we want, we have to think that from a medical or health side of things, that these hormones can promote proper and normal brain function and aging, right? Especially testosterone can facilitate or help us hold on to more muscle mass. That's not to be the Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? But one of the issues in people as they age, especially as they crest into their 70s and beyond, is that they lose so much muscle mass that their mobility, their ability to move around becomes impacted. They have trouble getting up, they have trouble walking, trouble moving around, and then there's a cascade of immobility leads to poor health, leads to immobility, leads to poor health, which ties into bone health as well, which leads to fractures, which leads to more immobility, which ultimately leads to death, right? So the more muscle mass we can keep on people, the better they can age. And these hormones play a key role there as well. Cardiovascular health or heart health function also. So in men especially, testosterone is important for heart health. And having very low testosterone impacts our heart function, right? And since heart disease, heart attacks, are still the number one leading cause of death in this country, doing what we can to avoid heart attacks and cardiovascular disease is critically important and these hormones can play a role there as well. And then appearance, let's face it, we're all vain. I'm vain, you're vain, most of us are vain. We want to look good in addition to feeling good, in addition to being able to perform in our day-to-day -day lives. That is, you know, 
get up and go and do the things that we want in addition to performing sexually, which most of us are looking forward to having, you know, a sex life as we age. So these hormones can be very, very important. There is much they can do that is beneficial right? But it needs to be balanced. And so at the end of the day, just to repeat again, there is no one simple answer. For me, the key questions are, what do you want as you age, right? If you want the type A, you still want to be active, you still want to be out there, you still have a lot that you want to be doing, then hormones are probably going to be necessary as we get into our 50s, 60s, 70s, especially and beyond, right? If we want to chill and relax and wind down, right? And focus more on the simple pleasures and enjoyment and less on, you know, being in the rat race, then these hormones are less important. Do you have any health complications, right? What is the quality of your diet and lifestyle? And how does your biologic age match up with your chronologic or calendar age, right? All of these factors need to be put in in this equation. And then simply, you know, what do you want? Some people come in saying, you know, I want off all of these things. Other people say the most important thing to me is how I feel and my quality of life. So all of these factors are going to go in, making it no one simple equation, right? And then MDs are telling us we must be off these hormones because of the, the cancer risks and the heart disease risks. And the answer there is twofold. One, always use bioidentical hormones whenever possible so that we don't run into inadvertent side effects, right? And be accurately monitoring and measuring your hormone levels so they fall within normal human functioning, right? Because it's one thing for someone who's 60 to, to put their hormones in a range of a healthy 20 to 30-year-old. It's another thing to jack them up beyond that because we're looking for super normal levels of, you know, vitality or function or muscle mass or appearance. You can do that, but you come, it comes with the risks of having hormones outside the level of normal functioning, whether that's thyroid hormone or whether that's testosterone or some other hormone, right? So, uh, and then, you know, these hormones need to be taken in the context of an otherwise healthy lifestyle. Otherwise, you know, the general rule of using hormones for the least amount of time uh, at the smallest dose comes into play. All right, so this is a complicated question that I've gone around and around and dealt with tangents, but fundamentally, are hormones right for you? The answer is it depends. First of all, what, you know, do you want to take hormones? Because it is something, especially if you're, you know, an older person, you've gone through menopause, or you feel that you're in andropause, right? It is something that you're going to have to take forever unless we get, you know, some kind of magic stem cell therapy to, you know, rejuvenate our bodies, where you're going to be committed to taking these hormones, whether they're shots that you're giving yourself, creams that you're rubbing on yourself or drops or, or some other, you know, pill that you're taking by mouth, you're committing to taking these things uh, for as long as you want those benefits. So as assumedly, you're basically taking them for the rest of your life. So is that something that you want to do? Right? What are your goals for your life? Again, do you have any medical issues or complications? Right. So all of these things factor in and then 
you know, using bioidentical hormones whenever possible. And lastly, putting it in the context of a healthy diet and lifestyle because these hormones are powerful. They affect all of these systems, but they are not the magic fountain of youth, no matter what anybody out there is telling you, right? And so nothing will ever fully, you know, trump a healthy diet and lifestyle. All right, I hope this has been helpful for you. I hope some of these nuances are helpful for you. If you guys have any questions or comments or any other topics you would like me to handle in future Dr. G P's or Dr. G podcasts, please feel welcome to email us at info, I-N-F-O, at Aspire Natural Health, A-S- P-I-R-E, Aspire Natural Health, all one word, AspireNaturalHealth.com, info at AspireNaturalHealth.com. Please check us out at www.AspireNaturalHealth.com or Facebook page at Facebook.com, Aspire Natural Health, and you can check us out as well at at, uh, YouTube. Just go to YouTube and search Aspire Natural Health and you'll find us there. All right, folks, I hope you will check in with us. If you need our help, we focus on helping people with gut dysfunctions, autoimmune diseases, and other hard-to-treat cases. So if you've been to four to ten other doctors before us, you haven't gotten the help that you need, come give us a call and let's see if we can help you. We never give up on our patients and we are always, always striving to learn more so that we can do better by people. All right? Until we talk again, we'll be putting, I'll be putting out future podcasts, both handling topics myself and interviewing others, as well as stuff on YouTube and the Facebook page. Till we talk again, guys, take care.